0: Friends, let's open in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read for us the remainder of the chapter, beginning in verse 19. Hear now God's word. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, let your Spirit do his work and build us together, your visible church, the body of Christ, into a household, into a kingdom, and into a temple that grows. Would you do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's do a quick recap from last week. We covered a ton of ground in Ephesians chapter 2. We spent a long time in the first half talking about vertical reconciliation. And then we spent last week talking about verses 11 through 18, which reminded us that God is actually in the double reconciliation business. He reconciles us vertically to himself and he reconciles us horizontally one to another. And we get that from places like verse 16, which says, he might reconcile us both to God in one body. So by doing the vertical reconciliation, he is bringing us as unlikely people together in horizontal reconciliation. Now, Before we get like all these warm fuzzy feelings thinking about the oneness of God's humanity in Christ. Remember that the two groups of people that he's talking about, Jew and Gentile, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, hate each other. They don't like each other. They don't get along with each other. Jews and Gentiles in many circles in Paul's day in first century ancient Near East hated mocked, segregated themselves from each other, and in some cases acted out in violence and killed each other. These two groups of people, they hate each other. I was reading the other day from Acts chapter 10 about the Apostle Peter. He's getting just a total bad rap today, which he deserves. But the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 um, God comes to him in a vision and says, I actually want you to go meet with a Gentile, the Gentile, the centurion Cornelius. I want you to go to his home and I want you to share the gospel with him. So Peter obeys and he goes to Cornelius' house. This might have been the first time he was ever in a Gentile's house, probably was. And this is how he greets Cornelius. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. Acts chapter 10 verse 28. That's not true at all. What is he talking about? I was about to say, it's not like Peter was some country backwater bumpkin Jew But literally, Peter was a country backwater bumpkin from Galilee. Like, he was from that region, and so the prejudice is he doesn't know any better. But he logged three years in the presence of Jesus. And after three years in the presence of Jesus, he has the audacity to say, oh, we don't associate with Gentiles. WTF. Why the face? Like, I don't understand this at all. What are you talking about? Who told you that, Peter? Was that your mom? Weren't you paying attention when Jesus took you across the Sea of Galilee to the city of the Decapolis and ministered among Gentiles? Weren't you paying attention when he cleared the temple and said, you guys have made this a den of robbers and thieves, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations? Didn't you hear when Jesus says that in the kingdom of heaven, many Gentiles are going to come from the east and west and displace Israelites at the table of Abraham in God's new heaven and new earth? Weren't you hearing that? Weren't you seeing that? Weren't you experiencing that in the ministry of Jesus all the while? And I think it just goes to show prejudice dies hard. Prejudice dies hard. If it's going to go, it's going to go kicking and screaming and biting. You can log. Imagine this, you can log three years in the daily, miraculous, shining presence of Jesus. Like you can actually watch the Son of God die on a cross... Rise from the dead and then tell you five times in five different places. I want you to go to the Gentile nations and preach the gospel. And you can still walk away from that and nurse the racism and ethnocentrism you grew up with. Behold the power of prejudice. It's Satan's work. And it comes to steal and kill and destroy. And it has a field day in the early church. Now, to God's credit, through Peter, that all happens in Acts chapter 10. And then by Acts chapter 15, there's a big debate in Jerusalem. How should Jewish Christians receive Gentile Christians? Because we're so different and we grew up with such different laws. Uh, Should they be accepted into the church based on the gospel? Or do we need to make some extra stipulations for them? And Peter, by Acts 15, is one of the first people to jump out of his seat and say, no, 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 no. We don't add stipulations. God has made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. At the risk of losing friends and reputation, at that point, Peter is actually willing to stand with Gentile believers who come to faith. Well, we'll fast forward from all those dynamics within the early church to Paul's day, and now... In God's just delicious gospel irony, you're in the city of Ephesus and you've got Jews and Gentiles who have converted and now they're ready to show up under one roof to worship in Ephesian household and much to their chagrin and awkwardness, they find themselves sitting shoulder to shoulder with the enemy. That's a miracle. That's a gift from God to the church. And we said last week that if God could unite the two unlikeliest groups, a Jew and a Gentile, and worship to himself into one new man, who can he not unite in the gospel today? And so we ended last week with both a challenge and a promise. We said the challenge is, where is God pressing in on our prejudice To build an unlikely relationship in our city. Where is he exposing that in our lives? Because he desires to make one new man in the person of Christ. But then we said there's a promise. Jesus doesn't just tell us about peace. Jesus doesn't just provide good devotional material for peace. Ephesians chapter 2 actually says Jesus is our peace. He doesn't leave us in our silo. He doesn't leave us to our own power. He is the peace that reconciles the church one with another. Once we get that background, we're ready for the verses that I just read at the end of the chapter. Because in these verses, God wants to woo us to what he has in store for us together in the church. Where vertical and horizontal reconciliation is actually leading. He's not just throwing us willy-nilly under one roof together for the heck of it. He actually has a plan in what he desires to do in the church. And he will make us by his grace and over and against our prejudice and segregation and selfishness into a kingdom and into a household and into a temple that grows. Those are the three word pictures that Paul gives us to describe what God is now doing in our church body and the big C capital church around the world. Let's look at each of those just very briefly. Number one, he talks about God's kingdom in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says this just very briefly. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. So that word there in the Greek alien means much like our word alien. It means a foreigner, a sojourner, a person who's in our midst who is an immigrant. Now, our nation today is fiercely debating citizenship and immigration right now. And just the heat alone from those debates reminds us how important the questions are of who's in and who's out, who has full rights and privileges, and who doesn't. This is what Paul is saying to the church God is king. And before you come to Christ, you weren't just an illegal immigrant, although you were, but you were actually openly hostile aliens and strangers before the presence of God. And yet God, through his Son, has welcomed us together to be citizens in his kingdom with all the rights and privileges that accompany citizenship. You and I, if we're believers in Christ, we're actually fellow citizens. What a brilliant way to describe the vertical and and, and horizontal reconciliation we experience. You and I together, we join hands and we become members of a kingdom together, united around our reigning king. That's what it means to be a believer in Christ. Well, no sooner does he give us the kingdom imagery, he immediately switches to the household imagery, and it's also right there in verse 19. Because he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. I love the different pictures that that Christ is giving us about our relationship with him, because each picture you can chew on and meditate on, and it will tell us something about God and something about the church that we participate in. We now know that we're not just citizens under a king with full rights and privileges, but we also here were family members under a father with all the warmth and intimacy, and affection, and inheritance that that entails. There's no way to cleanly divide the categories of justified and adopted, but each of them has a different spin. When I know I'm justified, I know I have been declared righteous in God's sight, and I know my standing. But when I know that I'm adopted... I know that God has welcomed me with the warmth and affection of a father for his son. I was just telling my wife the other day that I feel like I have a friend, and probably more than one friend, who I'm justified, but I'm not adopted. (laughs) Like, I know where I stand with this person. They have declared our friendship, and I know that that's secure. And if you ask them about it, it's there positionally. I just don't know if they like me or not. I don't feel the warmth and the care from that person. I know we have the title of friendship, but I don't have the reciprocal affection that I would desire. And so lest you fell in that category with God and understood your citizenship as a member of a very, very large kingdom, hear that God adopts you as a son and daughter and you are his child with the warmth that that entails. In fact, that's one of the first things that the Apostle Paul wants to tell us in the Ephesian church about God when he says in verse 2, I greet you from God our Father. I want you to know that he is our Heavenly Father. Now, we're about to be inundated with Christmas commercials. We already are. And there's always going to be that really sad Christmas scene that starts with a man trudging outside in the dark, in the snow, And the camera pans and he kind of looks over it and he sees through a living room window just a family in a warm, well-lit living room gathered around a Christmas tree laughing and joking. He's on the outside, they're on the inside. Now I know that's totally cheesy, it's in movies and commercials. But somehow that scene is able to strike straight to the heart of every longing of every human being to be welcomed and to belong to a family. That's a good thing. God has actually wired us in that way. God actually gave us biological families so that they will in part show us what it means to belong to a heavenly family. You know, 20 years ago, when I was in college, apologetics and debating about the faith was a really big thing studying evidence, being able to give historical and scientific evidence between the existence of Jesus and and the validity of his death and resurrection and the eyewitnesses that were there and the evolutionary debates. That that was a big deal, to be able to be conversant in that and debate with that. And actually, when I was converted at 18, that had a big impact on my life, knowing the evidence behind the Christian faith. That is still alive and well. There are many places on our college campuses and in our workplaces where they want to know what are the reasons behind the faith that you have. But I actually think there's been a shift in our culture that downplays the objective truth and the evidence and the debates behind Christianity and instead asks the question... Is this thing really something that I can belong to and be loved by? Look, if I take a step of faith, will people join hands with me? And will they do this with me together? You guys agree with that rising sentiment in our culture? I think we're going to continue in this church to have friends who belong before they believe. And I don't mean belong in the strict membership, baptized sense of being born again. I mean they're going to sense that we are their people and their friends and linking arms with them long before they believe and trust in the one true gospel. They're going to find friends in this place before they find faith in this place. And I think the family of God the love and affection disciples have for each other, just like Jesus said, is one of the most compelling apologetics for the Christian faith. That will draw people to the living God. And that's who we are. We're a kingdom and we're a family. Now, I want to make a total aside here because something actually interesting happens between Paul's language and Peter's language. I'm going to highlight Peter yet again. But basically, Paul says here, you are no longer... Not anymore. This is done with strangers and aliens. And if you keep reading your Bible and you show up in 1 Peter 2.11, you're going to hear Peter say what feels like the exact opposite. He says, Beloved, I urge you, I praise God for you, that you are indeed... Aliens and strangers. So Paul is saying, I'm glad that you're no longer aliens and strangers. Peter is turning around and saying, praise God, you are aliens and strangers. What are they talking about? Of course, they're talking about the same thing from opposite directions and sides of the fence. To be a citizen and friend of the world is to be an alien and a stranger of God. But to be a citizen and a a friend of God is to be an alien and a stranger of the world. The moment you put your faith in Christ and you are born again, you become a citizen of God's kingdom, and all of a sudden you find yourself an alien and a stranger and a sojourner in the world. The moment you follow Christ and are adopted and become a member of his family, you are going to find yourself a stranger with respect to the world and sometimes with respect to your own biological family. Praise God, you're no longer aliens and strangers because you have become aliens and strangers with respect to the world. The last thing, the last picture we get is the temple in verses 20 through 22. Paul, he, he loves to mix word pictures. He, he gets excited and he can't help himself. And so in one breath, we are citizens and then we're members of a household. And then we're part of a temple, but he talks about a temple that organically grows. And so he's just throwing everything together and kind of celebrating that. But verses 20 through 22 are beautiful, but they are very dense and they're not without controversy. There are actually some questions around this passage regarding who the prophets really were. You hear prophets and apostles, were these Old Testament prophets or were these New Testament prophets? That's a debate. There's actually some questions about that Greek word that says Jesus is the cornerstone. Is he really the cornerstone at the bottom of the building? Or is he the keystone at the top of the building that holds the entire structure together? And you and I can get a beer this week and we can debate keystones, cornerstones, Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets. But wherever we land on any of that, the meaning of this passage is going to come through loud and clear and majestic. This is the method behind the madness. We are not here. We are not sacrificing. We are not living the cruciform life to create community for community's sake. That would be empty. That's like Starbucks stripping every reference to Christmas to then in its empty stead seek to spread holiday cheer and goodwill among men. That doesn't mean anything. There's no substance to that. And even if I'm drinking the holiday blend, it's not going to hold the weight of a cruciform life that does true Christian community one with another. Ephesians 2 is not a kumbaya drum circle with each other. There's something huge behind this passage. God has grand designs for the church and for the body of Christ he takes us and he lays us on the foundation of his spoken word and on the apostolic gospel of good news of Jesus Christ. And then he takes each of us who joins and calls us a brick that he is going to begin chipping away at our rough edges so that he can slide us into this building that he's building shoulder to shoulder one with another. And whether Jesus is the cornerstone or the keystone, he will be the resurrected person who holds the entire structure together. And the God who made his dwelling place in the Garden of Eden and then on Mount Sinai and then in the t- tabernacle and then in his son Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us this same God in all that glory and majesty now resides here in the church And I don't mean here at 2244 Sumter Street. I mean in the bodies and the believers of whom Christ has called to himself, the living organic church here this morning and around the world everywhere that names the name of Christ. This is God's Dwelling place. This is where God has chosen to live like a temple. Receive worship like a temple. Enjoy the affection and, the, te- and the, the service of us like a temple. This is where we are linked to turn our attention chiefly away from ourselves. And even away from each other and towards the God who resides and receives our worship. Praise God for the church. Let's pray together. Once again, you give us an enormous picture in our Bibles that looks really small in real life. We're just a bunch of folks here who are getting a cup of coffee And trying to make our kids obey. And trying to show up at life group at least one out of every three times. And then we turn around and read in Ephesians chapter 2. That we are the temple of the living God whose spirit dwells within us. To receive worship from all peoples and tribes and nations. Lord let us become what we are. You've named us. Now claim us. And make us the church that's a kingdom, a household, and a temple that grows. Do that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.